fell right down that rabbit hole So reality is questionable Try but you just can't let it go These two right here put on the show It's paranormal overload with southern hospitality Haunted murder mayhem tip while discussing immortality Locations with a dark past History that comes to life Hillbillies with a knack for Everything that goes bump at night Overthinking if you by yourself These two will have you turning on the lights Mixing in a little comedy to make sure it all fits in just right Hey, Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Story Now here's your hosts Jerry and Tracy Paul Heather Dolph Ninja Sometimes they're cat Freddy, but never the ferrets. Tracy, we are so excited for our upcoming live event in Indianapolis with Tragedy of Cinema and Middle Aged and Creeped Out. Yes, we're looking forward to seeing all of you. I'm Todd. I'm Nate. And I'm Sean. And we are Middle Aged and Creeped Out. We are looking forward to sharing some creepy stories with all of our hometown listeners. I'm Jimbo with the Tragedy of Cinema. And I'm Kyle, also with Tragedy of Cinema. Indy is also our hometown, and we have the perfect horror movie to break down for you guys. Come out and see us on Saturday, July 16th at the VFW on South Lockburn and help veterans at the same time. All three shows are clean, so this is a family-friendly event. Tickets are just $20. Seating is limited, so get your tickets now at hillbillyhorrorstories.com. Hey guys, welcome to episode 307 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. Tracy, we have got a great episode lined up for everybody tonight. But before we get started, we want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world that are members of our allied forces. Thanks for all that you guys do for us. Absolutely. You guys are are angels on this earth. We pray for you guys every single day. Thank you for having our backs and God bless America. Absolutely. And the other countries you might represent. Oh, yeah. So England and Canada. Of course. And the other allies. Our world. (laughs) Crazy times we live in. I can't turn on the news anymore. It's just depressing. Yeah, I don't like to listen to the news anymore. But, um, you know. For those of you out there that are struggling right now, please know that it is not a sign of weakness to reach out to other people. Nope, not at all. So just just know that if you're struggling in one way, shape, or form, it doesn't matter what the reason is. Even if you feel like it's a silly reason, it's never a silly reason if it's making you feel a certain way. That's correct, you guys. We have a wonderful group that you can talk to. Jerry and I will give you our phone numbers if you need to call. Doesn't matter when it is. And you have the support system out there. Please reach out to us. That's what we're here for. And that's what we uh, love our group so much because they do an excellent job of doing that. And if you don't want to go that route, you can call the suicide hotline number at 1-800-273-8255. You can also text at 741-741. And they are really good. Uh, I mean, they answer just as quick as you, the first, usually the first ring that are on it. So you guys, please reach out. We love y'all so, so much. And we just want to know that we are here for you anytime, day or night. Yep, 100% agree. All right, so let's talk about this episode. First and foremost... We're going to tackle a very haunted location in California. Ooh-wee. 
We're also going to have a special guest. This was actually been in the work for about eight months now, since um, November of last year. Okay, who is it? Tessa Del Zappo Groff. Oh, oh she, that's Nick's wife, that's right. right? She is Nick Groff's wife. But, oh, great. But in her own right, she is an absolute fantastic medium. Good for her. And she, she is a sweetheart. Yeah, and she actually has been a medium for several years, even before she met Nick. She's got a funny story about how she actually met Nick. You know, I don't. I could be wrong, but she might not have talked about that on the air. But anyways, <laughs> but anyways, you know, in the interview, um, but we actually talked to. She actually met Nick during the. Um, pandemic mm-hmm. when everything was kind of shut down so she's got these live shows and so she would do casinos and stuff and she couldn't do any of them so she was doing some stuff on the air through just through uh, like zoom and stuff like that and she invited a guest on and that guest said hey is it okay if i bring nick groff on and she really didn't know who nick was oh wow she had never seen ghost yeah. adventures or paranormal lockdown or any of that See? but they met uh they talked for a long time after that and they just clicked and one thing led to another. They got married, and they just had uh, a baby boy a couple months ago. Yeah, isn't that wonderful? That's a wonderful story. All right, Tracy. In this episode, we take a trip to Riverside, California, to the historic and haunted Mission Inn Hotel and Spa. First of all, this place is awesome. It is huge and absolutely gorgeous, right in the middle of downtown Oh, Riverside. how nice. This is where I would normally say that it's of Spanish or Greek Revival architecture, but the truth is that it's composed from many different architectural styles, and I'm going to tell you why in a minute. Okay. If you had to put one tag on it, though, it is technically considered the largest Mission Revival-style building in the U.S. And if you want to think Mission Revival, what that looks like, think about uh, like the Alamo. Mm-hmm. Those type of the, the, you know, I guess Mexican or Spanish type architecture. That's kind of what, you know, mission style is. So think about Taco, okay. Taco Bell. Taco, Taco Bell? Bell is done in a mission style. Oh. But just give you the idea. You know how the it's rounded and all that. Yeah. So anyway, that's what you're looking at. You would think a hotel that's this big is probably owned by a large corporation because most of the time Hilton snatches all these hotels mm-hmm. or, you know, Marriott or whatever. It's actually owned by two individuals, Dwayne and Kelly Roberts. Oh, awesome. To look at this massive structure today, you would never guess that it sprang from a rather humble beginning. It started as a quaint little adobe boarding house called the Glenwood Cottage. The original building was built in 1876 by Christopher Columbus Miller, whose friends called him Cece. In 1880... Miller's son, Frank Miller, bought the hotel and all the surrounding property. It then became a full-service hotel, and it flourished in the early 1900s due to the citrus boom in Southern California and the warm weather that California had to offer. You gotta remember, the, up until the gold rush, California was pretty much mm-hmm. untapped you know, by uh, original settlers and stuff in the U.S. because nobody really, it was too dangerous to go out west. I gotcha. Mm-hmm. So in the 1900s, once people got out there and they start realizing, hey, this place is pretty cool and hey, you can also grow citrus out here. It's mm-hmm. kind of hard to grow citrus in New England. True story. And but, the weather is always good. Yeah, everything was great. So the area attracted many wealthy investors from the East Coast and from Europe. In 1902, 
Frank changed the name to the Glenwood Mission Inn. But more importantly, he started building on to the hotel, all the way up until his death in 1935. So when you think about it, the hotel was actually started in 1876, and all the way up to 59 years later, they were still building on. Just like adding more rooms or like like a pool, sections. just like things like that? Oh, sections. Oh, wow. So sort of like the Winchester house. Something like that. Something like that. There have been some comparisons, believe it or not. And there's actually some like doors that go to nowhere. No kidding. In here, too. Not as Not to that extreme, like yeah. It, yeah. Not like it is in a Winchester house. But I mentioned that the building had several different architectural styles. And this is why. When Frank would do an addition... He wasn't consistent with the one style. Like most of the early days was the mission style. Yeah, so he just wanted to change it up. Yeah, he wanted to change it up because he was, um, he did this purposely because his vision for the hotel was drawn from many different historical design periods. He had revivals, uh, influences, and styles that were all roaming around inside of his head. So some of the additions are Spanish Gothic, some are Mission Revival, some are Moorish Revival. Spanish colonial, Renaissance revival, and Mediterranean revival style. That keeps it interesting. Yeah, it does keep it interesting. With one section over another, addition upon addition, the results are complicated and intricately built structure. It's pretty awesome. Sounds great. I'd love to see it. It's got narrow passageways, exterior arcades, a medieval-style clock, five-story rotunda, castle towers, Mediterranean domes, and a pedestrian sky bridge. Oh, man, this is like a crazy place. Oh, did I mention that there's a chapel with catacombs underneath of it? Get out of here. Yes. Oh, whoa. We're going to talk more about the catacombs a little bit later. But during the 30 years that Frank was having you know, the hotel built on, he traveled the world, and he bought treasures from all over Europe and Asia, brought them back and put them on display in the hotel. And many of them are still there today. See, I like how his mind works. He sounds like a fun dude. So let's talk more about the chapel. The St. Francis Chapel has four large stained glass windows and two original mosaics by somebody uh, by the name of Louis Comfort Tiffany. Uh Uh-oh. Now we're talking. Yeah. The chapel was built in 1906, and the stained glass, those windows were salvaged from the Madison Square Presbyterian Church, and the chapel was actually designed around those Those windows. Those windows? Yeah. So it was designed exactly for these these stained glass windows to fit in. The Mexican Baroque-style altar is 25 feet tall and 16 feet across, and is carved from cedar and completely covered in gold leaf. That sounds so... Oh my gosh. That's, I wonder how long it takes to do something like that. Oh, I can't even imagine. That sounds so beautiful. There's also a garden of bells that consists of over 800 bells, one of which dates back to 1247. <gasps> it's supposedly the oldest bell in Christianity. Is what how they labeled it. In 1932, Frank Miller opened the St. Francis Atrio, which is a famous flyer's wall. 
so it was used to recognize famous aviators such as Amelia Earhart. When Frank died in 1935, his daughter and son-in-law, Alice and DeWitt Hutchings, took over. DeWitt died in 1956, and from then the hotel went through a number of different occupancy changes. Some of its older rooms were actually converted to apartments and used as dorm rooms for students from UC Riverside. Okay. In the early 1960s, St. John College actually decided that they might buy the place and turn it into their western campus. But they actually had some land donated to them in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and went in that, that direction, direction as well. I mean, it's a shame to be changing all that. I know it. As is often the case, the hotel fell into disarray. And in 1992, Dwayne Roberts and his wife Kelly bought the hotel. That was It was basically on the brink of demolition at that time. It was going to be torn down. Oh, that's so sad. They resurrected the property's iconic Spanish mission style and modernized the hotel with comfort, technology, culinary, shopping, wedding, and spa amenities. Well, good. I'm glad they got in there and done something with that. That's a shame to see that fall apart. Kelly actually oversees the hotel, which is a AAA four-diamond hotel. Wow. They have annual events such as the Festival of Lights and the Pumpkin Stroll. Very so people cool. come in for all those different things. Mm-hmm. In over 120 years of operation, the hotel has had such notable guests as presidents. These are all presidents. I'm just going to name off. Reagan, Bush, Kennedy, Ford, Roosevelt, Harrison, McKinley, Taft, and that's a lot of presidents. That is a very, very big selection there. Other notable guests include Henry Ford, Booker T. Washington, Albert Einstein, Joseph Pulitzer, William Randolph Hearst, Helen Keller, John D. Rockefeller, Susan B. Anthony, and Andrew Carnegie. I can't even, oh my goodness, can you just imagine going into this place knowing all those people were there? We didn't even touch on the actors. There are so many of those. For example, some of the ones, Betty Davis, Clark Gable, Bob Hope, and that's just a few of them. Oh my goodness. Several other actors have stayed there too, actors and actresses. That's so cool. So how big is this hotel? I told you it was massive, right? Huge. It takes up an entire city block and has 239 guest rooms, four restaurants, the chapel, and a whole bunch of other little things along with it. Amazing. Of course, it's listed on the National Historic you know, As it should be. Yeah. All right, I guess that's all we've got. So I guess we can get straight to our interview with Tessa. That is not true. Stop. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I got I got the paranormal stuff, obviously. Oh, my gosh. This place sounds so amazing. Well, Tracy, Southern California has its fair share of haunted locations. I would say the top three, and I left out Los Angeles. I didn't, because there's so many in Los Angeles by itself. But if you take out Los Angeles, the top three are probably the Whaley House in San Diego, the Queen Mary in Long Beach, and tonight's subject, the Mission Inn Hotel in Riverside. So, like I said, don't people start going, well, what about the yeah. Cecil? I threw out L.A. Yeah, L.A.'s got its own. It's There's got tons, so right? many, so many hotels and stuff and, yeah. and the Hollywood Cemetery. And I just, you know, left all that out. All right. Why is this hotel so haunted? Heck of I know. I just know what it is. Well, my gosh, it's been a born since what? Well, I guess we're going to start with the fact that it's built over top of catacombs. Oh, is that right? You know, know, dead people buried underground, stuff like that. 
These series of tunnels supposedly run under the hotel and they stretch all the way to Mount Robodo. I think that's what it's pronounced. Mm-hmm. It might be Rob- Robodub. And then uh, that just makes me think about Robodub. Taking a bath? Yeah. Because I still can't remember. Me for, as a kid, I always wondered, why is there all these guys in a tub together? <laughs> anyway, it's like the three blind mice. I never yeah. understood. I'm like, why is this? This blind, the mice are already blind, and this this woman's trying to chop their tails off. What is what is wrong with people? <laughs> I will say that I'm not a hundred percent sold on these catacombs. Why? I've read so many articles on this. Some of the articles say we couldn't find the catacombs. Some of the articles say that catacombs are cut off now, so people can't see them. I've heard people say. When you talk to people at the hotel, they say, I don't know what you're talking about. There's no oh, catacombs. Oh, no way. And then I read one article with a, a guy, well, actually, I'm going to get into but they they can't find them anywhere. They just, they, they don't see any entrances or all that. And then there's other stories where people say, hey, they did find them. I just don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they don't exist. I'm just saying I didn't see enough. Even with the people who said they saw it, I didn't have enough proof to say for sure that that actual do exists. So, like I said, I'm not 100% sold. We'll see. Two people on one video said that they found an entrance and it was through a red vent and the catacombs were 20 feet underground. Now, I did find something else that kind of matched that, but who knows? They actually had floor plans from the last renovation sent to them. So who knows? Maybe that was accurate. But they were definitely going a lot of places in the hotel that they shouldn't have been in. I mean, they were like they were places with lights off using their night vision camera. And I guarantee these were places they were off limits. These these were teenagers that were doing this little tour inside. I know, but that's kind of cool, though, because yeah, it can no, give us some info. really cool. It's mm-hmm. really cool. So, like I said, I don't know. They they were just out there doing places. So, I know they were at weird places. Like I said, they actually had the floor plans sent to them. They showed the floor plans, which show where that should have been. Anyway. Who in the world sent them the floor plan? It was somebody that they knew. I don't know how they got into it. And let me explain this, guys. I want you to know what I do for you guys. <laughs> this was an hour and a half video that I swear I will never get back in my life. Oh, but, and I had to watch all of it because I didn't know when... I can't just fast forward because I don't know what, when something's going to be said. Mm-hmm. I'm not knocking anybody on YouTube. Especially people who get tons and tons of views. Like this young lady did. Uh, I've got her name on here somewhere. But anyway. When I was watching this video. And I watched like three others that were anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour and a half. It's literally teenagers that are so beyond dramatic. Oh. <laughs> I mean, they'll hear the least little noise and they're yeah. oh my God. Oh my God, did you hear that? Oh, this is weird. Yeah, because they're still immature. And I get that. And I get that. And people are, one of these had like 12 million views. Wow. So they're, and I'm not disputing, but I'm just telling you, I watch these things so you don't have to. <laughs> and out of this whole hour and a half video, I literally have three lines. They said they found the catacombs and they had these. Well, good for them these, having uh, all those views. Though. Floor plans into them. Anyway, it was 
E-Baby and Justin Fig that somehow say that they were in the catacombs. And they were definitely somewhere creepy. I don't know if they're the catacombs or not, but wherever they were was pretty dang creepy, even if it was just part of the basement. Yeah. So Brave. That's, and we'll talk a little more about the catacombs later because it comes up in another story. The most haunted floor in the hotel is said to be the fourth floor, which is also the top floor. Author and photographer Craig Owens. He's convinced that he saw a ghost here in 2009. He was staying at the hotel while he was doing some research for a book that would showcase Southern California hotels that had survived the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't really about ghosts. That wasn't what the book was involved. He just happened to be staying here because it had survived the recession. His real project was to investigate the hotel, various different legends, and to try to uncover previously unknown details about their history. Mm-hmm. He also wanted to use the hotel's most beautiful, and in some cases, the most haunted spaces as sets for staged photos of models in period dress to kind of uh, just have a good photo shoot. So while he was at the Mission Inn, he and his crew were doing some shootings when he saw a shadow person for the first time ever. Man, shadow people are cool. He described it as an inky, black, two-dimensional figure Roughly about five foot two, wearing a cowl. I think a, he saw Batman. A what? A cowl. You know, like Batman wears on his head. Oh, I was like, why is he wearing a cowl? That's heavy. <laughs> Once the, could have been made out of leather. I don't know. <laughs> Once the figure caught the, caught the Owen's eye, he immediately darted around the corner. Not Owen's, the figure. It darted. It's the, like, yeah. hey, mm-hmm. I've been spotted. And it zipped around the corner. Once he checked out, he went home and he wrote to everyone he knew and he asked what the hell a shadow figure was. Oh, he didn't even know. No, because he he sees it now, but he's like, but what is it? I know I can see it, but yeah. what exactly is it? He said none of the stories that his friends told him made sense. He was like, are they aliens? Are they time travelers? Uh, someone's dream self or mm-hmm. maybe from another dimension? He said the best that he could figure out was that it was a low to mid-range manifestation of a ghost. All he knows is that he slept with the lights on for 10 days afterwards. (laughs) This next story I thought was really cool. Mary McGrath. She's a 60-year-old, and she was in Riverside for a funeral. They decided her and her friend was there. Rather than to fight traffic, she decided to stay overnight in a historic hotel. She admitted that... All old hotels give her the creeps. She said it didn't help that this hotel was filled with rumors about mysterious deaths, bangings, and weird things that have happened in the catacombs. So she knew about it before she stayed there. Yes. So she's a brave lady. She said as soon as she walked into her room, she got a creepy feeling. It wasn't tangible, just a thick eeriness that she shouldn't be there. The first thought, it was it was her imagination, as most of us would do, so she dismissed it, and she grabbed her camera to take some pictures, preferably in the daylight. <laughs> then you want to hold it down back here a little bit? No, he's like extra loud. Listen to that. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. He's been sicky this week. <clears throat> yeah, we had to take him to the vet. So anyway, she's out in the daylight. She's first roaming the halls. 
She takes pictures of some interesting architecture, which, as we said, is all over the place. She kept just kept on thinking, look at this gloomy-ass hall. Where does that creepy staircase go? She said that's all she could think of, even though she was taking these cool pictures. Yeah. It was just weird to her. Now, she also says that she was invited on a tour of the catacombs. Well, she didn't check out the stairs? Or the creepy scares? I I think she just meant in general. That's the kind of thought. Like, any time she came around. Oh, my bad. You're so literal. (laughs) <laughs> she said that she was taken down the talking about the catacombs now. Mm-hmm. She said she was taken down some halls that were behind the kitchen, past the service area where the employees clock in. Then the tour guide suggested that they grab some flashlights to enter the catacombs. So she's saying that they actually took her on a tour of the catacombs. Of the catacombs. Which you said you don't believe. And I yeah. Or not I, I, you don't know. Well, I don't know. I don't say I don't believe, but I mean yeah. You got people like this saying they went in there, and then you right. got other people to say they can't find them, and then other people to say that they deny it when you talk about them. Yeah, that's the, a little so, bizarre. I don't know. Mm-hmm. She said she instantly felt an eerie dread. Her flashlight started to flicker as soon as she entered the room. She said she could envision corpses hanging from the rafters. As they walked down the musty oh. hallways. She didn't see corpses. Yeah, but that in her, head. in her head, that would be very scary. So she looked up at street level, and she said it was a good 20 feet from the surface. That's the same thing that the other people mm-hmm. said. Mm-hmm. So those two things do kind of correspond. Suddenly, there was a loud bang, and she swung around and grabbed her friend. They both knew that the guy didn't bang anything. So what was it that made that thud against the pipe. It was obviously a hit against the pipe. The guide continued rattling off historical facts as if he hadn't heard anything. Yeah. No big deal to him. Mary said that she was too busy looking around every corner to pay any attention to what he was even saying at this point. (laughs) That's how I would be. She asked, do many people come down here at night? And he said, no, not too many. People don't feel good about being down here, period, especially in the evening as it wears on. Eventually, the tour ended, and Mary and her friend decided that they wanted something to eat, but they were going to go back to their room first and just rest up a little bit, maybe refresh themselves, and then go out and get something to eat. Now, their room apparently had multiple rooms. I think it was a suite. Okay. Her friend said, I think I'll go in that room and catch the news. And then her friend disappeared behind a very heavy vaulted door. So Mary thought, okay, that's fine. This, uh, that looks like an entrance to something forbidden. That's what she said. It just looked like something like, like, you shouldn't be going in behind that door. That looks like something yeah. like, you know, it's freaky. But it is what it is. She said, once again, I probably just. My imagination. Yeah, let my imagination crazy. run around. And uh, so I'm going to go in here <clears throat> and take a nap. But as she's laying in bed, she can't go to sleep because she can't quit thinking about that TV room. Yeah. So she decides, I'm just going to go in there and watch the news with my friend. The room was creepy. She said it felt like neither of them was wanted in this room. Now, did the other lady feel the same as she did or no? I wonder. She did. Okay. But I'm going to get to that. So they felt a draft, but they dismissed that as a faulty air conditioning because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's an old hotel. Feeling creeped out, both of them left the room and they went downstairs. When they returned to the room... They locked that door 
to no, the TV room. They didn't want to go yeah, in they there. They didn't want to have anything to do with that. The following morning, Mary's friend mentioned that she thought that room had an evil spirit in it. She remarked that something just didn't want us in that room. So they decided to ask some employees about ghost sightings on the property. And the, one of the employees was a housekeeper. And she said, oh, yeah, there's a couple who comes here regularly to photograph spirit orbs. So Mary said, what is a spirit orb? And she said, oh, it's those little round balls that you see in your picture sometimes when you photograph ghosts. She said, there's several places in the inn where they're known to appear more regularly. So Mary went to all these places, specific locations that the housekeeper had told them. And sure enough, almost every single picture that Mary took had orbs in it. Well, at least she wouldn't lie to. Well, it sounds to me like the housekeeper probably needs to do a better job with her dusting. <laughs> Anyways, one one bar that she went to in the hotel had almost 15 orbs in the picture, many of them hanging from the ceiling like Christmas ornaments. Some were floating and others were actually on the floor. On the floor? I've never seen an orb on the floor. Huh? Orb on the floor. Orb on the floor. Have you? Yeah, I've seen them because, I mean, it's a one-dimensional picture. So, I mean, it could be towards the bottom and it's going to look like it's on the floor. Oh. Mary says that since her stay at the Mission Inn, she's always on the lookout for ghosts now. It oh, took, I bet. It took the first 60 years for her life to, yeah. to find the interest. Who haunts... The mission in is the question. And there is no clear answer. Some think that Christopher. CC. Yeah, CC. Frank and Alice Miller all still haunt the location today. And there's some reasons for that that we will get into. One of the things that employees and guests have experienced is Alice singing from the vacant rooms. All kinds of different vacant rooms. They hear just hear her singing throughout because she would travel around. But it was before they got big. But she would still kind of travel around all the rooms and. Mm-hmm. Check it out. Blue lights tend to float in the air. Not not orbs, just actual blue lights. People see the blue lights floating in the air. Several different types of equipment malfunction. Every type of electronic equipment to appliances, everything in the hotel tend to mal- malfunction, even like from employees, like in the bars and in the restaurants and all that. They have problems with all kinds of equipment. Others have reported being touched or pushed by ghostly hands. Ghosts have been seen in various places, including the hallway, the dining room, and outside behind the hotel. A little girl ghost seems to be quite often roaming around the fourth floor, which is what we said was the most haunted. I think that's where all their presidential suites are also. Oh, okay. The most haunted rooms are supposed to be the east corner of the fourth floor. That was Alice's room. Frank's room on the northeast corner of that same floor. Room 215. And the bridal suite and, of course, the catacombs. So, Tracy, as I like to do when we do haunted hotels, I like to check out TripAdvisor for reviews. Okay. And see what's going on. Yeah, what everybody's talking about. This is from an Avon Lee from Hawaii. She stayed there in 2008. I'm not going to read the whole review because most of it didn't have to do with what we were interested in. 
Mm-hmm. Nobody really cares how good their sheet surface is or any of that. <laughs> so here's the uh, the good parts. While my husband slept, he was greeted by a spooky guest. He awoke to something tapping him on the right side of his face and whispering in his ear. I was sleeping on the left side, therefore unable to touch his right cheek. That scared him enough to lose some sleep. I googled Mission N hauntings and several similar experiences came up. And for the record, we were in room 373. Scary. Alright, here's another one. This is from uh, Mary Travels in L.A. Ghost Hunter's Delight is how she listed it. First, for those interested in the supernatural, it delivers. We did our own ghost tour based on internet stories. Once we reached the infamous fourth floor, we found a vent with a wrought iron grill over it that had a strange vibe. We started recording phone video and immediately got orbs floating out of the... Out of the vent? Out of the vent. The entire fourth floor is so strange, but at the same time beautiful. We entered 100-year-old elevator that gave us the creeps. Ooh, I bet. As it descended, we heard children laughing and echoing, which shouldn't have happened at 11.15 at night. Mm -mm. We thought it was a trick by the staff, but it wasn't. They actually try to downplay the hauntings anytime we bring them up. And that was from 2016. Yeah, that's, wow. I don't yeah. know if I trust getting on a 100-year-old elevator. I think we did that. Oh, we, we did were, do that at, what's his face? At Low Hotel at, in, uh, in uh, Point Pleasant. Pleasant. Yep, you're right. I'm and pretty sure. Was, if not, was, it sounded like it. Oh, I know. it. That was a very, very creepy elevator. Well, that's definitely a place I would like to go check out, which we probably never will, but... Well, we're going, well, I plan on us going to California next year. Oh, so, you do? Yes. I plan on us going to on like a two-week trip to check out some places in Arizona and... Wally World? We're not going to Wally World. Oh. No. It doesn't exist. We go oh. to Walmart every place here. <laughs> we only need to go to ones in California. But no, I I I put that on the list of places to stay. And I suppose it's pretty expensive to stay there. Oh, I bet it but is. Looking at some of the rooms, some of the rooms are very basic, mm-hmm. very basic. You know, so I don't know. But it's it's a place I would definitely like to check. And if we're going to be in Southern California anyway, if we're going to check out like the Whaley House and the Queen Mary, if it's open for business, we're not going to be that far away. Mm-hmm. So, yikes! Yes, yikes. Anyways, Wait. all right. That we'll wraps see. up our story on the Mission Inn in Riverside, California. That's very interesting. Yeah, I thought I liked it. Like I said, there's a lot of history in that place. Mm-hmm. It's not as easy to find ghost stories as you would think it would be. Like, like I found those stories of people who had their experiences. But usually you'll have like, for example, if, if uh, Frank and Alice were haunting the place... You would usually have a lot more stories about them, but you, there really wasn't. Mm-hmm. It was like Alice sings and Frank, uh, well, he's in his room. You know, there really wasn't yeah. a lot of details about the ghost. Even the little girl ghost that's up on the up on the fourth floor, a lot of times people will have like, um, hey, we think this little girl is so-and-so. She died at the hotel of smallpox or whatever, but there really isn't. There wasn't no information on that at I all? I couldn't find hardly any specifics on anything. Which is why I went with the stories from people mm-hmm. who had encounters rather than 
having specifics on the ghosts. They were just ghosts that were just happy to be chilling. I know, but for a place that's that haunted, usually there's a ton more stories out there. And I couldn't find a lot of stories other than, hey, it's haunted. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't find a lot of specifics. So, anyways. But we're going to take a quick sponsor break. And then we're going to be back with our iTunes and stuff. And, of course, this interview with Tessa Del Zappo Groff. It's a long name. It is a long name. It's a long name. But, uh, yeah, it was fun. You guys are going to like her. She's She's got a great personality. Awesome. All right, Tracy, real quick before we get into the iTunes and stuff. We are about a month away now from our show in Indianapolis. Yay. The Tragedy of Cinema and Middle-Aged and Creeped Out. We've got uh, some tickets sold. There are some left. There's only 60 available, and uh, it's going to be a blast, and it is kid-friendly. That's yes. a, This may be the first show that we've ever done that we've advertised as 100% kid-friendly. Right. So if your kid's into paranormal and stuff like that, bring them along. It'll be great. Yeah. I mean, we've had like shows with Brohio that we could have advertised for kid-friendly if your kid was like Damien from The Omen or something <laughs> like that, but this is completely different. <laughs> also... Uh, right after that, a month later, is our six-year anniversary at the old hospital on College Hill with Cereal Spiller- Spirits. I said Spillets. I know. You did. Yeah. Either way. Spirits. They'll cereal spill Spirits. It. They'll spill it about yeah. the spirits. Annie and Brendan will be there. And uh, it's going to be a blast. That one comes with a tour. And if you want to check this place out, obviously, we've got an episode that we've done on it. And you can also check out the uh, Destination Fear the season finale of season two and they did a look into it it's a cool place you're gonna like it cool all right tracy what you got over there all right this week for itunes we have Kay cummins austin mullen paul w jason b 007 java woman and mojo lobster thank you guys so so much for your reviews and taking the time out to do those we appreciate those so so much and it really does help us um, and our patreons this week is tony hernandez thank you doll for your support we appreciate you so much and just keep them coming and we just love you i want to mention you guys have been so supportive on so many different levels and now we've got this food line product out and you guys are ordering this stuff online, and it's just totally amazing me because I think it's a little costly. It's not because of the product. It's a really good product, as everybody who's tried it will tell you. But it is a little expensive with the shipping because the shipping costs almost as much as the product. But with that being said, we've completely run out of apple butter, mm-hmm. and I was not intending that to happen. It's going to be probably a month before we can make another order because we have to make a pretty big order to get anything. So we will eventually get some back. But in the meantime, we've got pumpkin butter and a bunch of other products. But uh, you guys are amazing. I just I, I, We haven't even had a live event to take them to yet. And we've got half empty cases already of stuff and completely out of apple butter. And it's strictly been through you guys ordering through the mail. Thank you and guys so much. Thank you. Yeah, you guys have really been a blessing to Jerry and I and... To this day, we still like, kind of look at each other like, what the heck is happening? You know what I'm saying? And we just feel so blessed, and we appreciate y'all so much. And just so glad that you're sticking with us, and we have all these new wonderful family with you guys. So we and love you. tomorrow, I have a call with the young lady, and I think we'll work out the final details on our new Tracy's Punch You in the Face Peach Cobbler. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
Yeah, everything works out good. It's going to be cool. It's going to come like in a little plastic bag inside of a, uh, it'll be the mix that you need. You just got to have to add your peaches, but it'll be in a plastic bag that'll come inside of a little, um, like a, not a burlap, but like a flower sack, mm -hmm. miniature flower sack with uh, Tracy's face and stuff on it. So that so. way y'all can punch me in the face and <laughs> I'll you, never know about to. it. <laughs> but I'll, I'll have details hopefully on that tomorrow and hopefully that'll be something within the next two or three weeks we'll have ready and available. Yeah. But again, thank you guys. You, you mean the world to us and we can never thank you enough. Ain't that the truth. All right. We've made you wait long enough. Let's listen to Tessa Del Zappo Groff. Hey guys, I am excited to bring you this next guest. I have medium Tessa Del Zappo Groff on with me. Tessa, thanks for coming on. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Obviously, a lot of people are going to say, Groff, that sounds uh, familiar. And uh, you and Nick Groff got married, I think, what, October of last year, correct? It was right before Scarefest, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. And then you guys have a new addition a little over a month ago, uh, your uh, little baby boy, uh, Lu is it Luciano? Yeah, Luciano. Yeah, Luciano. He's, uh, like six weeks old now. It's happening fast. Wow. So congratulations on that. I want to get that and uh, in, in right at the very beginning. Yeah, we're very excited. He's a new little ghost hunter on the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's talk about you. Uh, obviously, you're a medium. And this all you started seeing spirits back when you were very young, what, four or five years old. And that's when most people start. I think they said for most children, their memories, for, as far as going all the way back, the first memories they usually have is about four years old. And you can remember seeing spirits at four years old. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, it's very true. You see a lot of kids around that age range is kind of like the peak for them where they're able to verbalize and, and talk about it in a sense. And uh, for me, though, I had a near-death experience. So I was really, really sick as a child. And I ended up having this major surgery, um, you know, to which at the time, and this was 30 plus years ago, they allowed my mother to come into the surgical room with me uh, to put me to sleep. So they went to put me to sleep and I kept looking up above me and I vividly remember seeing people all surrounding my the bed where they were putting me to sleep. And when I woke up, I asked my mom, um, you know, why was everybody standing so close to me around the bed? And she was like, there was nobody there. It was just me. So all the doctors and nurses were lined up against the wall. Nobody was around the bed with me. Um, and then I recovered in the hospital for about two weeks. And while I was in the hospital, I remember the door opening one night and all these lights came into my room, surrounded my bed. I wasn't afraid of it or anything like that, but I would look up and I saw faces. Um, it was almost very healing and kind of, you know, when I look back at it now, it was very much like, it's okay. We got you. You'll be all right. And then they left. Um, following that, when I ended up going home is really when things started to peak. Um, I started seeing a man in my room every single night, freaked me out because I had no idea who it was. Um, but it was weird because he reminded me of my mom. So being a young kid waking up in the middle of the night, I would think it was my mother and he would come into my room, talk to me. Um, he would sit on the bed. And finally I asked him, you know, who are you? Why are you here? And he started giving me nicknames. He told me how he died. He um, showed me what he was wearing. He said that that was important. And so I went back to my mom and I told her about this. It ended up being her brother who passed before I was born. Uh, so my uncle and the nicknames that he gave were nicknames that he would call her. The outfit that he showed me was the outfit that he was buried in. 
Um, you know, and, and it was very, very specific on how he passed. So that was kind of like my very first vivid memory. And then from that, it just progressed more and more. The house that we lived in too was, um, haunted, I guess you could say the, um, the area that I grew up in is very historic. I grew up in Niagara Falls, New York. There was a lot of um, native history and background in that area, uh, mafia ties and things like that. And so a lot of the buildings, a lot of the land is very historical. And the apartment um, that I grew up in was extremely active. And so for somebody like me growing up with mediumship abilities and then a house like that, um, I had so many experiences that I ended up having to develop that, you know, as I got older, cause I wanted to understand it. Um, I realized I could use it to help people. And so it really was just this progressive thing throughout my life. Now, a lot of people talk about when, when they first find out that they've got these gifts, that it's a major burden to them. They really need to harness, uh, when to turn it on, when to turn it off, or they get bombarded. Did you go through those kind of bouts as well? Yeah. When I was a kid, definitely. I was, um, you know, sleeping was very difficult. Um, spirit will, will come to you a lot when you're sleeping because your body's at rest and spirit, you know, vibrates on a higher frequency. So when we're at rest, it's easier for us to pick up on them. So that's why a lot of people have those experiences at night. Um, and that happened to me a lot, but they, it, you know, it's like, I always refer to the analogy that a medium is kind of like a lighthouse in the dark, um, for spirit. And so when they know that you can see and feel them, they want to come to you. They're like, Oh my God, she could see me. And so they want to communicate and talk. And it really became bothersome for me at night. I was scared as a kid, um, you know, not knowing who or what they were. And so as I got older, I had to really learn, uh, boundaries, you know, and it, it, to me, I, I always refer to it as like a volume switch. You could turn it up or you could turn it down. Um, I personally, and this is just my opinion. I know some people say that they could turn it off, turn it back on. For me, I'm never off. I've found that I can't necessarily turn it all the way off, but I could definitely turn it down, um, to which I've learned to do over the years. Now, I was reading somewhere that, you know, you developed or at least realized that you had these gifts after your uh, surgery, but yeah. also that that your mother and grandmother also had these gifts, correct? Yes. Yeah. My, my mom is definitely a medium. She practices. She's, uh, she does readings. We used to do gallery shows and stuff together years ago. Uh, my grandmother though, it's interesting because I grew up, I'm Italian. And so we grew up Italian Catholic and back in her generation, it was kind of taboo to talk about this kind of stuff. You know what I mean? So, um, she would say things to us and she would have these visions and she would talk about seeing things at night and this and this would happen. And I'm like, well, grandma, you know, that spirit, it was probably a spirit. And she's like, no, that stuff's not real. And I would just roll my <laughs> eyes because I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, but then, you know, with my mom, I think that if I hadn't had my mom uh, by my side growing up, I very well could have been just another person who shuts this down, not really pays attention to it and, and um, grows up not understanding it. But she kind of gave me that. Uh, you know, I have this ability to let's go here and let's learn about this and let's develop it more. And so she was really my um, support throughout the years to be able to do what I do now. So let's talk a little bit about what we were talking about off air. There are people out there and it really depends on, uh, I think, their religious belief that believe that animals do not have souls. And then there are people that believe, and I'm in this camp, that animals do have souls. 
What is your take on animals? Because you were telling me a little bit about you pick up on a lot of animal spirits as well as human spirits when you're doing readings. Tell me a little bit about that and how they're different than than people or are they different than people? You know, listen, I'm the first person that would tell everybody that they are so entitled to their beliefs, their religious beliefs, all of those things. Um, but I find it to be a bit naive that people would believe that animals do not have souls. Um, you know, you look at pets and things like that, the way that they interact with you, the way that they, uh, they just have a knowing of what you need, you know, dogs, especially people talk about dogs a lot. And, um, when they're sick or when they're upset, the dog comes to them, uh, cats, things like that, but that could really range for any animal. Um, in my experience as a medium, I 100% believe that they have a soul, um, the reason for that is because when I do readings, they come to me almost exactly like they would, like a person would. Um, one example would be, I did a reading for a woman years ago and, um, actually it was at a gallery reading. Now that I think about it, it was, it was strange. It was a gallery reading. She was sitting very close to the front of the stage and I kept picking up on this little boy is the way that I interpret it. I, I thought it was this little boy. It was like, my mom's here. I kept hearing my mom's here. My mom's here. And, um, so I went to this woman and I started reading her and, uh, everything that came through, if I remember correctly, was he had, uh, an illness that they didn't catch in his organs and that it progressed very quickly and that he passed very recently. I, I literally looked at her and I was like, I feel like he would have passed like yesterday. Come to find out she did lose her son the day prior and her son was a dog. <laughs> And, um, I, it, it really took me back for a minute because I'm like, you know, animals will show themselves as animals to me when I do readings. However, this one was so attached to his person that he felt as though it was his mom and she viewed him as her son. And so that's how the reading came through. Um, and it was very specific. It was the way he passed. It was the things that she did after, uh, that she had planned to do after his passing. She had just that day prior to my gallery reading set up, um, where they make like the paw prints and stuff like that, like in the molds and um, had him cremated and, and the whole nine yards. And she came into my gallery and she was just bawling her eyes out. Um, experiences like that really have um, validated for me that animals do have a soul that they can and will communicate with us from the other side. Um, and, and like I said before, off air is I believe that they communicate very similar as humans do. A soul is a soul. It's energy. So let's talk a little bit. We'll change gears a, a tad bit. Obviously, you do a lot of stuff with Nick. Uh, we'll go back to one of the some of the previous stuff you've done. Obviously, we've seen you guys have show stuff, but you also did uh, Death Walker together. Tell yes. me a little bit about that experience. What did you think about uh, getting in front of the camera a little more often and and being on something uh, a high profile such as that? Yeah, it's interesting because I think what's unique about Nick and I is, you know, even prior to him and I coming together as a couple, um, you know, I'm no stranger to cameras and a stage. I've been a dancer and a performer since I was three years old. So I grew up on a stage. I grew up in front of cameras. Um, I did acting, things like that. And so, you know, I always loved doing that. I've been involved in the paranormal and mediumship since I was very young. And then obviously we know Nick and his, his background, um, in the television world and the paranormal world. Um, so once we came together, it was almost just, it just worked, you know, and, and 
really what you see on camera and when you hear us talk about our experiences together is really just our everyday lives. This is what we do on a daily basis. Um, so doing something like Death Walker, it was just so natural for us. Um, you know, he brought me uh, for season two, I believe he brought me on to two locations. Season three has not come out yet, but I'm in a couple of those as well. Um, but season two that's airing right now in the UK and Canada, I did a um, I did an episode at Myrtle's Plantation in uh, Louisiana. And then I did, the crazy thing is, is I did one of the episodes in the hospital that I had my first near death experience in. Um, so that episode is very personal to me. Um, and so, <clears throat> and the experiences that we had at those locations were incredible. Um, it was cool for me to come in as a medium, um, sense whatever's going on around us, pick up on things, give readings, and then to have Nick validate that with his equipment, um, was really interesting. Uh, Myrtle's plantation was super active. <laughs> There, Nick left me in a room and I was so unhappy about it because <laughs> there was this energy, there was this energy in uh, one of the bedrooms with the spirit that came through and he was very aggressive. He was not a happy person in life. And then in death, he was not happy and he didn't like women. And so of course, Nick's like, I think we're going to put Tessa in this room. <laughs> so he, he leaves me in this room, but the stuff that we picked up on the, um, the evidence that we got in that room, there was footsteps, the door was opening by itself. It was, it was crazy. Um, so, you know, we really enjoy working together. And I think that because it's so genuine, the evidence that we're getting and the experiences that we have come off that way as well. Tell me a little bit about what you, your thoughts are on the Myrtle's plantation. Now, obviously the big story there is Chloe. And yeah. I, I think it's, it's, when we talked about it several times in this show, that story has pretty much been debunked as it's told. Um, but there's still that famous picture out there that looks like it fits a, the Chloe resemblance. And there's still obviously a lot of stuff going out. I obviously don't feel like it's Chloe since Chloe technically probably didn't exist. <laughs> but yeah. what do you what do you think's really going on out there? Where do you think the hauntings are manifesting from? Let me think back on it. Cause I know there was so much to what we picked up on that night. And I think it's interesting because, um, as a medium, I see it as layers. Like, you know, you walk into a, lo a location like the Myrtle's plantation where there's so much history and there was a lot of things that took place on the location, given the time period, the fact that it's a plantation house, there was slavery, there was, um, abuse, there was deaths on the property that have been recorded. And I think the combination of that creates these layers. So as a medium, you're kind of like pulling back these layers of, um, okay, here's this spirit. How did they pass? What happened here? And how is this connected to this spirit or this, um, happening? And so when I first approached the location, I, I, what's, <laughs> this is really funny. I think you'll find this interesting. I never watched ghost adventures. So I never, um, or paranormal lockdown really. So I've, I've told Nick that I'm like, I've never watched your shows. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I've never seen the, where he went into Myrtle's plantation, uh, which is good for me because when I go into a location, I don't like to know anything. Mm -hmm. I don't like to be tainted that way. I want to be, have it very genuine. So when I walked in, yes, I knew about Chloe because he had mentioned Chloe to me, but other than that, I was like, don't tell me anything. Um, when I approached the location, the first thing that I picked up on was um, I saw people, slaves walking around, people who would have been slaves at the time walking around. I felt that energy. It was very sad. Um, and then I felt a woman who may have been in the plantation house. She may have worked there. 
Um, and again, it was like this overall sadness that I felt um, like I wanted to run away. And you'll see that in the episode. I, I keep saying, I feel like I want to run out of here. Like I, I just want to get out. Um, when we entered, I kept picking up on this little girl with red hair. She was just this little tiny girl. She kept coming to us. She had red hair. And I just kept reiterating, there's this little girl here come to find out. And nobody's ever really talked about her. There was this picture hanging somewhere within the, the house of a little girl with red hair. And I forget exactly. I don't want to say it without being a hundred percent accurate with it. I forget who she was exactly. I think her name was Kate or Katie or something along those lines, but nobody had ever really talked about her. And she was somebody who came forward. Um, and then the other thing that I kept picking up on was a young boy upstairs who he was the one with the footsteps. He was almost playing with us. Like he wanted to, he wanted to play like hide and seek. So we would be in a room and you could hear the footsteps coming. And the minute we addressed like, oh, there's footsteps, he would retreat and go backwards and you could hear him running back and forth. Um, and there was a closet to which he stayed in and he would hide in there. And I kept going to the closet and it was funny because Nick had done an interview, um, with, I think her name's Hester. She was wonderful. I loved her. Um, and Hester, the, she was doing tours and things like that. She did the history with Nick and I wasn't there for the, um, for his recording of that. And she kept talking about something that would hide in the closet. And so you'll see her prior to me going in there, going to the closet, talking about this. And then I was drawn to the closet and I was talking about it. Um, so I think overall, to answer your question, there was just like an overall sadness. You know, the boy had died from yellow fever. Um, this little girl had died tragically the slavery on the property. It was very heavy and very um, sad. And then you have the guy who would have died in the one room that Nick made me stay in. And he was just very angry. And so, you know, I can't ever say there's something demonic in there. There's something negative. I always say that there's um, our energy that we have here in the physical world. When we die, we carry that same energy. So somebody like that gentleman who died in the room, he was, he was very angry when he died. So he carried that energy over. And to somebody like me, you know, it feels negative. It feels gross. It's kind of like, I don't want to be around that. Um, but there was so many layers to it that, I mean, we didn't get to bed until eight in the morning. We slept that night. We stayed overnight in the location and we literally didn't get to bed until eight in the morning. And it was just, there was so much to it. So I would love to go back. Definitely. It's a beautiful place. I, I, I don't know if I would like to, to stay in, in the big, you know, one of the big houses or those little cottages outside. I like that. I think it's a beautiful place though. Yeah. The cottages to me were just so, cause that was like the slave quarters. And so to me, um, it was too heavy, you know, for me to ever stay in there. I didn't really want to stay in there in general. Like that's Nick's job. Nick likes to stay in these haunted locations. I don't, <laughs> but I did it for him. Um, so, you know, it's just, there's so much to it. It is beautiful though. The property itself is, is amazing. What do you think, like you were talking about the gentleman that, that, uh, when he died, he was angry when he died and he used to be curious that into the afterlife. What do you think are some of the reasons that spirits stay earthbound? Uh, like with that gentleman, why, why does he not pass over? Does he just need help passing over? Is it unfinished business? Is it a combination of things? What are your thoughts on that? I do think there's a combination of things that can happen. I think um, one of the things that I think sometimes gets um, mixed up is residual energy versus an intelligent spirit. So I think sometimes when um, a team goes in or maybe you know, somebody who has abilities like myself, you're picking up on things that might've taken place in that room, right? So you could see um, he was suffering, he was laying in bed, something happened with his foot, he had an infection, um, he's very angry. Some of that type of stuff could very well be residual. 
And I always explain residual energy as like muddy footprints that are left behind from somebody. Um, these are things that just play over and over. It's not intelligent. It won't interact with you. Um, but I think sometimes that it could be mistaken for an intelligent spirit. So I think that's one, one thing. It's not exactly that they're left behind. Maybe it was just a memory from the past that's being picked up on because it's playing over and over. Um, and then you go to, okay, what if it's an intelligent spirit? In that case, I feel as though when somebody passes quickly or tragically in some way, um, I feel that they would have a tendency to linger more so than somebody who would have passed peacefully. Um, and if that's the case, I think that there is a couple different things. They might want you to know their story. Um, they might just not be a person who wants to move on. I, I, for some reason, think that on the other side, we have this choice, whether we move on or we stay where we are. Um, and that's just my belief based on what I've experienced as a medium. And so I think that sometimes they make the choice to stay. Um, and so I think those two things are really like my biggest uh, theories on why maybe a spirit would be lingering, if that makes sense. It does. I like to ask this of all mediums. And, and I know it goes back. Some of it goes back to religion again. Some people believe there's a heaven and a hell. Some people believe there's nothing. That there's no afterlife. Obviously, we're in the camp that there's some type of afterlife or we wouldn't yeah. be talking about it. <laughs> what do you think happens after we die and we mm -hmm. pass over? We don't just, we're, we're not going to stay earthbound. We pass over. What do you think happens at that point to our spirit? You know, that's like the biggest question that there is, especially in the paranormal world and the mediumship world. What happens when we die? Um, in my opinion, and based on, like I said, what I do as a medium, I, I personally believe, yes, there's an afterlife. I believe that spirit can and will communicate with us, or I wouldn't be able to do what I do. Um, I, I believe, you know, if you look at it on a scientific level, right? Like we, our soul is an energetic form. It's, we have energy that's been scientifically proven, right? The body contains energy. We know, you know, because of physics that energy can't be created or destroyed. So if our body dies, then where does this energy go? It's got to go somewhere. It can't be destroyed. So where does it go? Um, so if that's the case to me as a medium, when I'm picking up on somebody's loved one, right? So if I'm doing a personal reading and their loved one comes through, um, it's not that they're earthbound, they're not stuck but their energy still is there. And I can pick up on their energy. They will communicate, give me very valid things that would have happened to validate for them that it's, they're here with us. Um, so I think that there is, you know, and I think religiously, right. We create heaven, hell, all these different concepts and everybody's entitled to their beliefs. For me personally, I just think that we leave our bodies for so long, right? I don't think that we stay there forever as this energetic form. I believe personally in reincarnation and I don't know if, if you do, or if that's something that you talk about, but like for Nick and I, we've talked about our past lives. You know, the minute that him and I got together, we would talk about our past lives and his past life and my past lives had linked up. Um, so I believe in the soul contract. I believe in soulmates. I believe that we can go from life to life. Um, the reasoning behind that, I think is a whole different subject. But, um, you know, I think that our soul will be here for a certain amount of time until it's our time to come back, or maybe it's not our time to come back. Um, so I think until reincarnation and stuff, I think we are able to communicate. But I think the biggest thing that needs to be looked at is that scientific part, you know, when people want to debunk 
spirit or that we can't communicate with them. It's like, but where does that energy go then? How do you explain that part of it? You know? Um, so I think it could be a bunch of different things. And I think I, I don't know everything I'm still learning. And so every reading that I do or every experience that I have, I use it in like my little <laughs> dictionary of a head that I have to try to figure this out. I want to figure out what happens when we die at the very least. I know we can communicate and I know that they're still there. Um, and so I, I think it's amazing. It's one of the biggest questions that everybody has, right? I agree with everything you said. I've talked yeah. to several mediums during the course of time, and several have said something that have really made me start thinking. And I, I now I have made that my belief is that, you know, after we're through on this earth, you basically go through either classes or schooling. You learned from from your previous life and then you come back at some some shape or form and you you pick up, you know, there with your new knowledge of mm-hmm. what you've learned from your previous lives. Uh, I've said several times on the show, I didn't, I don't know that I ever really believed in reincarnation. And after seeing so many stories over the last six years and researching, I, I 100% believe in reincarnation. Now, so that's the one thing that I can say doing this show has changed my uh, perception on completely is reincarnation. So yeah. yeah, it's, it's amazing. And it's an amazing thought. It, so I'm going to springboard this into my next question. With that being said, you know that there's an afterlife because you communicate with spirits. Does that change your entire outlook on life when you know there's an out an, an afterlife? Yeah, I, it definitely has. I think throughout the years, um, it definitely has. I think that the biggest way that it has changed is that I, I think there's so much more out there than what we what we perceive, you know, I think we get very caught up sometimes as a human, right? Like with ego and with the things that are here as humans, um, the things that we go through on a daily basis. And we sometimes worry about this, or we uh, have anxiety about this. And, um, you know, I went to school for clinical mental health. My master's was in that. And so um, during that schooling, you know, you learn a lot about the mind. And I think that sometimes our mind keeps us very earthbound in a sense, Um, we suffer a lot and things like that. And I think as a medium and knowing that there's this afterlife, that there's more to it. Um, I think it's helped me to really let go of a lot of that ego and those things that really like hold us down here as humans. And, um, I think it's helped me if anything. And so that's why I preach a lot. Like when I, um, when I do readings and, and when I do shows and things like that, I, I really use that to try to help people to let go of that stuff and to realize that there is more, you know, and, um, when spirit comes through too, that's the biggest thing. When our loved ones come through, we, they always try to get us to let go of things. Like I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine over here. I need you to let go of that because I want you to be happy. And and you find that those are like the biggest messages that our loved ones give to us. And, and it's got to be for a reason, right? Um, so I try to use that to an advantage to help people uh, just let go of things. There is more out there. You know, even though we don't have all the answers, there's got to be more. Do you have a, a reading from your past without obviously being specific to the person you gave it to yeah. that you can share that was kind of a shock to you? Something that just stands out as, wow, uh, I, I had a medium before tell me that she did a reading for somebody and the person that came through was her uh, a close relative. I believe it was a son, but he actually st- told her in the reading that he had committed suicide and his death wasn't accidental. And this was a complete surprise 
to the young lady that was getting the answer. Um, do you have any readings that stand out to you that you've done where there was a, a big element of surprise where either the person was completely shocked or you were shocked? It's funny that you even said that that person had had that experience because it's very similar to, I always talk about like the one reading that I did. I want to say, I don't want to call it my first reading because I used to do readings from the time I was like 16. I started really doing readings, but I did one publicly for this woman for like the very first time and she lost her son and it was locally in Niagara Falls where I grew up. And um, so, you know, as I was picking up on her son, it came through that it was labeled as a suicide. Um, what was interesting is he had passed by the falls. So he was over by Niagara Falls. They had found um, where he was and things like that. And so they had thought that he went there and committed suicide. When I dove into it a little bit more and I really started picking up on this boy, um, he was validating for her that it was not a suicide. It was accidental. So what had happened and he gave me like a play-by-play. So the way that I see it in my mind really looks like a movie reel. And he showed me play-by-play what would have happened to him. And um, basically he had gone to the falls. He was trying to, uh, he liked to draw. So it was interesting. He had like a, an easel by the falls and he was sitting there and he was coloring or doing whatever he was doing. And uh, he had gotten up to move his stuff and he had slipped. And he went down into the rapids. And um, what was interesting is when law enforcement showed up there, they um, they found all of his art stuff. And so this is something that I would have never been able to know. And that validation for her, I mean, it just lifted so much because she had thought that he had ended his life. And so to find out that it was an accident, um, which I think in the back of her mind, if I remember correctly, she had thought like, there's no way that my son would have done this. So to validate for her that she was correct and that he is okay, it was an accident. Um, it just lifted her big time. So like I was crying, she was crying. Um, and it was really like the first realization that I had of how um, powerful having this ability is and what you could actually do with that to help people. And that's also why I moved into doing criminal investigative cases with missing persons, homicides, things like that, because I wanted to help to um, give some answers in situations like that. Do you feel like law enforcement is open to your type of help? I know some probably are, some probably are extremely skeptical. What has been your experience with uh, reception into law enforcement for what you're able to do for them? Um, I'm noticing that they're much more open now than they would have been years ago. Um, you know, there there is some departments that will go to a medium. They just openly will go to a medium. They want help with a psychic, a medium. Um, and then there's other people in the, in law enforcement that are totally skeptical, scared of the paranormal, things like that. And so it, it definitely just depends, but I could def I could say firsthand that over the years, it's definitely opened up more. Um, you know, you see, I, I get calls sometimes from investigators and things like that, that want me to help. Um, so, and I think that's really cool. I think in general, the paranormal, what I do as a medium, things like that is really being opened up more people are more open to it. You're starting to see it more and more over the years. Um, so yeah, and I think it just depends, but I see it more in law enforcement now than ever. Have you mastered the art of remote viewing as well, or is that something that you don't uh, deal with? That was always something I did, but I didn't know what it was <laughs> when I was a kid. Like I, I was able to do it and I would see into uh, locations and things like that. 
without even being there. And then when I started learning and developing what I was doing, I would talk to people who had this ability and um, they're like, oh, that's, that's called remote viewing. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that I could do that. <laughs> so that's always been something that I've been able to do. And I find it, it's very useful. That's the first thing you go to in an investigative case, like, especially if you can't be on location, which I've done multiple, um, numerous uh, cases over Zoom or over a phone call um, to which I have to use remote viewing first and foremost. What do you feel like you have to have and able to make a connection with somebody. Now, for reason I'm asking is like, for example, uh, we have uh, Tracy and I have a friend from six, seven years ago. He committed suicide tragically. It's a very strange situation. Nobody thought this was something that was even in his mind. And even that particular night, uh, he had set his his uh, alarm for the next morning because he was going to take a college uh, entrance exam. He was up, just hooked up a brand new playing station was playing with that. He was in a band and the band was really taken off and he was doing great. I mean, he was 21 years old and all of a sudden that night commits suicide and everybody's just completely baffled as to what could have taken place in that situation. Now, I mean, obviously we know we know the kid, but we he wasn't a family member. He wasn't a close uh, a close knit friend. He was more of an acquaintance. Um, but like, you know, for if we were curious about somebody like that, is is that somebody with just enough information you could contact, or do you need like would it have to be a relative of his to try to find out information like that? No, normally I can go off of a picture. Sometimes even just a name. Um, normally I'll ask for a name in a situation like this. Like if I were speaking to you, because I, I do readings online a lot, like I'll go live and I'll pick people to do readings. And, um, I usually just ask for a name and then with cases, I'll just, if I have a picture of the person, so either one of those, but it was interesting because as you were talking, I was really starting to pick up on things even without a name, but what would be his first name? Alan. Are you okay with me tuning in a little bit? Um, like if I were to give him maybe, some information or do you want to wait till off air? Cause we could do that. Yeah. Let's do Let's do it off air. Just in respect for his family. Absolutely. You know, what's interesting is that, um, you know, I, I don't know exactly. I don't know how it works. I think it's more or less like, even though you're not family with him, but you hold some sort of energetic connection. Again, what I do is connecting to energy, right? So everything is energy. And I think just the energy of you carrying that or knowing him or, um, being involved or invested in the case at all. I think gives me the ability to pick up on that. Um, so like I said, just a name or just a picture is really all I've ever needed to connect to somebody, which is why I'm able to do readings over zoom with people all over the world and, um, and cases where I'm not exactly on location to be able to do that. So I find it fascinating. You guys do. When I said you guys, obviously you and Nick and, and, uh, some of the G crew and stuff do a lot of events together. And I want to talk about one of it because it's a place near and dear to my heart. August 13th, the G crew and yourself is going to be live at Bobby Mackey's and Bobby just lost his mother. Uh, so thoughts and prayers out to Bobby. Bobby's a friend of the show. Obviously we've had him on and we we've had him at our live event. You guys are going to do the same. But August 13th, you guys are going to be out there. Chad Lindbergh, Josh Hurd, Johnny Hauser, 
Uh, of course, Nick will be there. You're going to be there. And Dave Schrader is going to be hosting. That is a star-studded event. So yeah. I, I definitely wanted to mention that because, like I said, Bobby Mackey's, we do a live event there every year. We'll be that out there in October doing ours. And uh, we all the people from Gatekeeper Paranormal we're good friends with. And uh, I just wanted to mention that and give you guys a, a little bit of a promotion on that particular show since it is coming up. Uh, Tracy yep. and I are going to try to get out there to that one. We're going to be out of town the following weekend doing our sixth anniversary show in West Virginia. But uh, I wanted to mention that because that's that's a, a lot of of uh, star power for uh, one bill out there. So I thought that's pretty cool that you guys are all going to be out there. Yeah, we're very excited. It should be an awesome event. We're going to do um, Q&As. I'm going to do a gallery reading. Just having Dave Schrader in general there, I think, is a show in itself. So. <laughs> And then I've never been to Bobby Mackey's, so I'm very uh, excited to see what I pick up on there. And um, yeah, it should be an awesome, awesome event, which tickets are still available. Um, so anybody who wants to grab a ticket, definitely do so. Some of them are up on my website. And then um, I could actually put the link when we when we post this and stuff like that. I could add the link for that as well. Perfect. Perfect. Well, speaking of your website, tell everybody how they can keep up with everything Tessa Del Zappograph. Yeah. So my website is tessadelzappo.com. Um, I always remind people that is the only place that you can book readings with me. Um, cause unfortunately there's a lot of scammers and fake pages out there that, um, gain, you know, access to people, unfortunately. But so my website is tessadelzappo.com. You can book readings there. I do have a wait list though. I'm, I'm booking out into next year, um, into, I believe actually the month of April or May of next year. Um, so you could do readings there. And then as well, I have an event page. So all of my events for my um, gallery show live with the other side are available on my website as well. Um, so I have, you know, we're doing, we're doing a show in Virginia city in um, July. So Nick and I will be in Virginia city for Nick Croft tour. I'll be doing my live with the other side show. We'll be doing an investigation. We have Bobby Mackey's. Um, oh my God. There's so many different things. We're doing the, um, the premiere of death Walker for America in uh, August as well. So August 20th, it's going to be at the Riviera theater in North Tonawanda, New York. So that's fun. And then following that, I have so many different locations. I can't even think of it. Mommy brain right now, <laughs> um, <laughs> of my, my show coming up as well. So my website has all of that stuff. Awesome. And tell everybody how they can watch death Walker when it comes out. Um, you know, as of right now, we are, we're, um, airing a couple episodes over there, but he, I can't, I can't say where to watch it just yet because he hasn't made the gotcha. announcement. Yeah, but but people in the UK, it's available on Discovery Plus and um, the Really Channel, and then in Canada, it's available on CTV, Sci-Fi, and I believe Discovery Plus as well. So that's for Canada and the UK. And then as far as America, I would love to tell you, but I can't. <laughs> but uh, no that will problem. be announced. Yeah, that will be announced. Tessa, it was a blast having you on. We'll have to do it again sometime in the future. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. And we'll talk to you soon. All right, guys, that wraps it up for us this week. I hope you guys enjoyed Tessa's interview. Like I said, she's married to Nick and that gets her uh, a lot of attention because of her new last name. But uh, make no doubt about it. Tessa was uh, had made a name for herself in the last several years, way before she ever met Nick. Mm -hmm. And uh, like I said, we've done some events with her in the past uh, before her and Nick had, had uh, met. And um, 
like I said, she uh, she's the real deal. So yeah, she's a sweetheart too. Yeah, absolutely. Congratulations on that cute baby boy. All right, guys. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. All right. You guys have a blessed week.